my goodness, we've got guests. You know what that means. It's another Masterclass episode on Studio Class. Hello, divas. We are back with another Masterclass on Studio Class, and I am thrilled to introduce you to Samuel Martin if you don't already know him. And I am going to read a little bit about Sam before we get started, and then we're just going to jump right in to this awesome conversation. So here we go. Pianist Samuel Martin is a dynamic artist in demand as a partner for recital, chamber, opera, and musical theater performances. His stylistic versatility has resulted in concert appearances internationally, most recently in Germany, Mexico, and throughout the United States. Together with mezzo Catherine Lemus, Martin's debut album on the BCMD Records label, Before She Became Fire, shines a spotlight on never before recorded song cycles by composers Judith Cloud, Melissa Dunphy, and Lori Leitman. And you know I love that. So <laughs> here's a few more things. Hailed as Cincinnati's champion for art song by Movers and Makers, Martin is the founding artistic director of the Cincinnati Song Initiative. Heck yeah, team, team art song for the win. An award-winning nonprofit concert series dedicated to the promotion and innovation of song. A native of New York, Martin holds degrees from the University of Cincinnati's College Conservatory of Music and Ithaca College. He currently serves on the vocal coaching faculty of the Hart School at the University of Hartford, where he teaches specialized song seminars and coaches privately. So with all of that, are you not super psyched to hear what Sam has to say? Because I am. So let's jump right in. Yay! Sam, thank you. I wasn't nervous before, but now I'm nervous that this recording. I thought we were just, you know, going to talk you and me. <laughs> you know, that surreptitious podcast recording where you're like, <laughs> you've been caught on candid. Or, or the, 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 you get let in from the waiting room and you're dropped into an already recording yeah. meeting. <laughs> the worst. You know, just keep it. Just keep it really tight that way. Like, oh, so welcome. Welcome to studio class, everybody. <laughs> I'm super excited about this masterclass episode. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm hoping that you can just like take it away with a little bit about you. Can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Uh, sure. Thank you for having me. It's great to meet and to be here. Um, I am a, I'm a pianist by training and, um, I got sucked in and happily so as so many pianists do along their journey of growth, um, into the vocal world. Yeah. And, um, specifically I fell in love with, um, the song genre. Yes. So as I, <laughs> yes, yes. And so as I, so as I um, journeyed on as a pianist, I grew more and more close uh, with singers and the genre of song and working in all ways in that, in that area. And so um, I'm always and will be a pianist, but also uh, um, eight years ago, I founded a nonprofit concert series called Cincinnati Song Initiative. That's here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And also, um, I guess the other now big part of my life is uh, this fall, we've just wrapped up my first semester. I'm, I'm on the uh, vocal coaching faculty at the Hart School at the University of that's Hartford amazing. in Connecticut. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, so um, so I do that. Uh, I teach, uh, coach privately there, and I teach um, a ton of different song seminars and courses. And then, of course, I coach privately in Cincinnati and wherever I may be at any <laughs> given moment. Amazing. So I have a couple of questions just like right off the bat before we jump into some of the kind of regular starting questions. 
which was, can you tell me a little bit more about entering into your coaching experience, right? What, so was there a moment for you where you were like, oh, I kind of dig this. I want to get better at this. What, what did you follow? Like, what was that path like for you to get into vocal coaching? You know, I ask a lot of pianists this same question because it, I've, I've noticed a trend that might be natural for a lot of pianists to answer your question, but every every pianist doesn't that turns coach does not have the same path by any means, so it's always worth asking. Um, I would say that I definitely fall into the camp of having just sort of, you just, it just happens naturally. Um, in, in college, where I went to, to undergraduate, Ithaca College, um, it was a free market system for singers to find pianists. There weren't really staff pianists. You didn't get coaches and stuff. And so so student pianists were on the hook to play for lessons and recitals and stuff. And we got to charge our own rates and everything. And so right off the bat, I was being, you know, and pianists are always needed, right? So there were, I could have accepted an unlimited number of people, however many I could cram in. And so I just very quickly started to like blast through a ton of song repertoire. And I loved that whole world by by taking on a lot of um singers who I became friends with and loved working with right um and then that inspired me to go on to graduate school for a collaborative piano degree and of course I focused on um the the singing the the vocal track of of collaborative piano studies I did chamber music and instrumental work as well at Cincinnati uh CCM um but it, it, at that point I was fully into Songland and singer world, which I loved. Yeah. Um, and then as far as, you know, going going coach from there, um, again, I think it just happens naturally. If people trust you and they enjoy working with you. Um, I don't, you know, I'm certainly not by any means um, the end-all be-all of knowledge or anything like that, but just, you know, at, at some point you get to a certain age and a certain level of experience and sort of the lesson pianist and I don't know, the role just sort of naturally evolves and people start to come to you seeking advice and being interested in what you have to say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there, I, there's not, there wasn't a day or a, or a year where I proclaimed that I was now a coach or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a natural, natural progression. Yeah. Can you elaborate was for a me. bit more on what's the, you know, what's the way that, uh, you know, vocalists can get the most out of a coaching session, right? If they're going to come to you, what do you want them to like really have? I mean, either ready or like, what's the format that means you're going to have the best situation together? Th that's a great question. And um, it, a, a little bit, um, it, it kind of will segue into one of the questions that you sent me in advance, but in terms of setting oneself up for the optimal vocal coaching, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, let's skip right past the, like, you're going to get way more bang for your buck if you come with your notes and rhythms learned than if right. you're just paying someone their private hourly coaching rate to have them teach you your music, right? Let's right, move right, right past yep. that. <laughs> if you want to do that, great. Yep. But let's let's assume that that one has sort of already moved beyond that. I think coming with a set of opinions yourself mm. already, mm -hmm. uh, not not to um, not to get into like combat or have to go back and forth. Yeah. 
but um, more so that it's a, a dynamic setting and an exchange and a, a bi-directional flow of ideas mm. rather than going into it with this mindset of I need to be told and led to what to do. And this will set me on a whole spiel, but, um, and we can talk about this throughout the course of this um, episode, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I would love for sing singers need outside feedback and perspectives, right? Like this is what the, a lot of people in the outside world who aren't in the vocal ecosystem don't understand. Right. Mm -hmm. Singers' voices are inside of them. Literal physiology and acoustics mean that they need outside sets of ears to tell them how is it sounding. Because because mm -hmm. singers do not have they 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 can't understand and and hear exactly as they sound to the outside world, right? So that is all very very important, and that's sort of in my mind the cornerstone for why singers sort of need a team of people more so maybe than other. Uh, musicians and instruments and that's very legitimate reasoning right yeah. um I, I i would love to to ultimately you know move away from any sort of idea that singers are, are dependent on an outside team of people to like you know like learn music and all that sort of crap right, right that's just right. that's that's bs well that, and it's like it's, old you know like way it's way old. back uh, like, it's, yeah 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 but 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 uh, you know i think even even today if you're just again if you're not in this ecosystem you kind of need to have all this explained to you yeah otherwise those stereotypes mm -hmm. continue to right so anyway so all that's to say megan is it starts in the coaching studio between the coach and the singer. Yeah. And the, and and I want a singer to feel empowered to come to the table with their own opinions yeah. and 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 the cruising altitude of the music that they're learning so that they don't um set themselves up for feeling this way of of dependency or like I go to a coach to be told how I should interpret this song right. or this aria, right? Right. Um Anyway, man, I already feel like I just kicked off with a diatribe. But no, uh, this but, is the point. We have to talk about these things. <laughs> it, it, it's the first thing that came to mind when you asked me that off the cuff question, and and I feel very passionately about it because you know it's sort of like we are responsible at, at ground level for sort of um, fighting against uh, uh, I don't know stereotypes or generalities, and that goes for anything in life in any category, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, and that's what I would that's what I would say is 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 the best thing to set oneself up for a um, productive and worthwhile coaching that is worth the money that you're going to pay for it. Yes, exactly. Right? Exactly. So, Sam, I'm wondering, let's see here. I love to ask this question at the top of the episode. So I'm just we're just going to jump in with this one, which is what is an intention that you're keeping for yourself right now? An intention that I'm keeping for myself. I think in the realm of teaching and coaching. Yeah. sort of like we're already talking about is from the coach from 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 my perspective as the coach i'm responsible also for creating an environment that is collaborative mm -hmm. and um not prescriptive yeah. and uh not overbearing to whoever i might be working with at any given moment yeah and so while a minute ago i invited singers to come into a coaching with the mindset of come with something of your own and opinions of your own. Yeah. I also think that coaches are responsible for the kind of atmosphere that they set. Yeah. 
Because yeah. for better or for worse, you know, at some base level, if if you're paying to come get a coaching, there's this inherent dynamic of mm-hmm. of authority figure being the coach, right? And that's that's fine. It's it's how it's what you make of that dynamic, right? There's not there's not nothing wrong inherently with that power structure, right? We we always have, you know, there's always teachers and mentors through life and stuff. There's nothing wrong with that dynamic being a reality of life. Um, but but I, you know, I have that capability of setting the tone and the atmosphere. And so to go into it collaboratively, and so uh, in the sense of teaching, it's an intention that I'm keeping at the heart school um, where I'm coaching now, but even in private coachings, um, is to be curious with the with the singer or instrumentalist, but singer most often, and ask what they think and make sure that I'm not just overwhelming them with all, with all the things that I hear that I maybe would like to comment on mm-hmm. or provide feedback on. Yeah. Um, and through that approach, I believe I have the ability to start to empower this independent thinking and this attitude of whoever's in front of me that they hold answers Mm -hmm. to themselves and ultimately um will be able to take care of themselves in that way yeah um not that again not that singers ever typically will stop coaching for all the reasons that we described a couple minutes ago but to not fall into that mindset of dependency. So I, so basically this is the other side of the conversation. I believe coaches have a responsibility to um, help create that atmosphere too. So that's a long answer to your question. Um, That's an intention that I constantly have to remind myself of, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think some of you're bringing up such a great point. I, I think this happens across all art, medium and you know studios and spaces and stuff like that but i think singers are are very liable to getting into those i have to be a blank slate and whatever somebody mm-hmm. else and like we get coached and like not vocal coaching but we get kind of like um influenced that way by by our kind of mentors and guides and teachers and such to be even more of that blank slate listen take on be that person who just says yes to whatever thing and there, there's always that give and take between having your own thoughts as an artist, having your own thoughts as a musician, and then being able to be, like you said, collaborative. And I think, I think sometimes we can get a little too far into coaching younger musicians to just, just only listen, only take other people's opinions, only take other people's perspectives. And I love what you mentioned about guiding your students and your your professional colleagues into a a space in which they can they can also express their opinions you're you're saying like yes i know that you have lots of artistic thoughts about this and i want to make the space where we're we're building that together and that's such a beautiful way of thinking about it so i'm glad that you're doing that that's a really important work (laughs) well and it 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 also it's a catch-20 not a catch-22 i don't know if that's the right way to put it but um, many people, if they're, uh, I'll, I'll say, brainwashed or in the mindset that they're going in as this, that as this blank slate, yeah. sometimes it can give them the out to not have come with enough prep work done of 
of of understanding the poem. Yeah. Uh, not in the sense of there's a right or wrong way to interpret a poem, but e but even having one opinion, right. let alone multiple ways to look at it that you can then go and talk about in a conversational way, right? Yeah. And so so there's this there's this it's it's a byproduct that if you create this atmosphere, um, you kind of have to come to the table with more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and it puts the 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 fire under under people's uh, feet a little more. Absolutely. To, to come with more basically prep work done. Yeah. yeah. And just and then you, we all get deeper, more well-rounded performances. And that's what we all want. <laughs> it's just, yes. Let's yes. make sure we're always interesting and compelling when we're performing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, Sam, I'm wondering if we can think about with your professional colleagues, when you're working together in a collaborative sense in creating, you know, art song performance and chamber music performance, can you Tell me what feels like an ideal collaborative relationship. Yeah, I can. If it's someone that I know well and have a musical relationship with or a musical past with and I trust them, then frankly, from professional to professional, I am happy to just get into the room and go through songs. Say we're prepping a recital. Yeah. And unless there's a couple songs on a program maybe that need serious discussion about what we want to do and it gets really really nuanced and we have to make really detailed decisions based on the text my default is to happily go in there and just rehearse it multiple times until it starts feeling really good mm -hmm. because what that what i'm doing is there's built-in trust that you, you don't have to like you don't have to check to make sure that your professional colleagues sort of know what's going on and what and talk about what they want to do, right? Right, right. The, the 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 more experienced one gets, the more that stuff can go unspoken. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of doing it together, getting comfortable with each other, human to human. Yeah. And um also, I feel the more experienced I get. The more I'm okay with things not being the exact same way every time. Say you say you have a couple different performances of the same program. Yeah. There's beauty in in um, things going differently, either purposefully or accidentally. Right. In, right. From content, right? <laughs> yeah. right? But um, some 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 of those things aren't things that um, are uh, possible or appropriate. Okay in like a, it, it, when, when it's like a coach sort of in a teacher role, working with younger, less experienced. So that all just comes with time. Absolutely. So to your answer about, you know, working with professionals, it basically a lot more of the process can go unspoken mm -hmm. and you still know that the work is done. Yeah. Um, and there's that trust there and you feel that that's possible. And if you need to talk about something great, you can, but a little bit less of the sort of like picking it apart and yeah. being all nitty gritty, you know, partly just to make sure you know that your collaborator knows what's going on, but also right. needing to really make, you know, decisions and talk yeah. about them. Yeah. That some of that stuff is just, you know, the connection is there. Yeah. Well, and yeah. some of the more you know, where you get way more attuned to those like subtle nonverbal cues that we give each other and how we're performing together. I'm wondering, do you have any tips for, for anyone who is kind of early in their path and working collaboratively about communicating with each other? If they are noticing that they want to communicate a little bit more about choices, about, uh, you know, interpretation, any of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. If we switch to the verbal side, 
of that. Do you have any tips for us about, about making sure that we're doing that in a really positive and kind of relationship affirming way? You mean about communicating like something that you, that you want, that you want done or yeah. want to have happen yeah. together? Mm-hmm. I think the first step is to, is to say, you know, I, I have a feeling or a thought about this particular moment. Mm-hmm. And I would, I, you know, I'd love, I'd love to, you know, bounce it off you and see how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in all, but maybe 5% of cases, you know, I've, if, if someone has an opinion, I have to feel really strongly in the other way to be like, actually, no, we need to talk about this. And I'm going to try, <laughs> I'm going to try to convince you about not only is that, you know, not necessarily wrong, but, you know, I have to feel really strongly to push back against something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, really just coming to the table and saying, I have a thought or a feeling about this particular moment. And then honestly, my mindset is already said to, Oh, this person like really feels something about this. And I may have um, also an opinion, but it might be less strong, or I might not have an opinion or mm-hmm. thought specifically about this moment, in which case I'll happily come along with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just, um, just creating this collaborative and open um environment and if if a young if a young artist wants to make an opinion uh known just just say i i, I feel this way about about this spot i mean it's i, I don't want to i don't want to boil the ocean here yeah um, <laughs> it's it's not it's not that deep but ideally they've been set up to to feel like they're in an environment where they can you know voice anything at all like that mm-hmm. yeah um technically speaking I can't say this enough. Singers have the amazing tool of text to show what they want Mm -hmm. without stopping to say anything. Um, Consonants and consonant clusters happening before the beat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can speed or slow a pianist down if the pianist has their ears open Mm -hmm. and are a good collaborator in that way via the text. And also, I mean, this is sort of um, answering one of your questions that you have uh, for me, but one of the technical things that I really, really ride uh, singers for, especially, you know, young singers like at the heart school, is um, singing through words mm-hmm. and, and trusting and loving the reality that language and committing to words, consonants and vowels, is vocal technique. Oh, amen, honey. Yes. And <laughs> and if you singing through M's and N's yes. and 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 all those voiced consonants, mm-hmm. you know, you can't you can't do that from here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you, you, you that that's automatically is like a it's like a. It's like uh, what people that like all, you know, like earthly medications and like natural remedies, right? Like that naturally seeks support, right? Yes. So so people shouldn't be afraid of that. There's all this stuff about here that's like sing the vowel as long as possible. No, sing the word, every bit of the word. Mm -hmm. Finish the word at the end of the phrase. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's my they're they're wedded right yeah. that is vocal technique and vocal artistry and 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 you know to be a little more blunt about it you are responsible for that you know <laughs> singers have singers have text you're the only instrument that has that tool in your tool belt you don't you don't have the right you're not entitled to say um i will discount the text 
in order to sound better. Mm -hmm. But that is the sound. The text is the sound. <laughs> yes, you have to you have you have to accept that paradigm. Yes. yes. But so many people are are so misguidedly taught mm -hmm. into believing that they're at odds, right? Yeah. I heard and that's you know it's teacher say the yeah. other day, uh, I would never sacrifice the tone for the words. And I thought, oh, oh honey, that that is the tone. <laughs> like yeah. I was like, oh, we have different feelings about what mm -hmm. exactly the tone and the words are. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I could go, I could go on for days about how it's. Just, I mean, I guess you could say you're looking at it two different ways, but I, I, I just don't. I can't even. I can't even. Yeah, I can't even. <laughs> I, I, I just, I just can't. One must love. And, and, and coaches, if you want to be a vocal pianist, I, I say this so passionately because we are responsible for loving text to the same degree, yeah. even though we're not responsible for getting up on stage and, and singing it. Yeah. Um, we must be right there with you. Um, but, but as the singer, you, you know, you, you must uh, approach the text in that way and trust and learn to love that, you know, singing through your words is vocal artistry and Absolutely. is wedded to good vocal technique. They're not at odds. Yeah, they're not. They're Full not. stop. That's great. Yeah. So, so I'm going to just push you a little bit farther since you answered that question. And then I'm going to say, what's another, what's another skill that you love to teach? And this can be, you know, we talked about a little bit of the vocal technique side of things, especially when it comes to diction and, and mm -hmm. expressing the words, but is there, it could be a different hard skill of any any kind. Is there another skill that you love to teach? Um, I I don't know if this qualifies as a skill. Well, I would qualify as a skill. Hopefully, it's in the realm of what you're looking for. Um, it's it's a, again an approach that I like to use in the coaching studio is um, the devil's advocate approach. It, interp in, it when interpreting things. Yeah. One of the greatest lessons that I left from my undergraduate training with from my piano teacher he he wouldn't he's perfect at training musicians mm -hmm. with opinions because i would play something for him whether it was solo or you know in a coaching with a singer and we'd get done and we feel proud of ourselves and we'd look over at him and he looked like he could have wished he had been anywhere else in the world except <laughs> listening to that four minute song or that 15 minute Beethoven sonata. Uh -huh. And he was, uh, you know, <laughs> what he wanted was for us to have an opinion. Yeah. And so when he would get into teaching mode to work with us, he would often give me two choices. If, if I was, you know, if I needed some help with something and obviously I didn't have an opinion about something yet, he would, you know, give me, he would be like, you can play it like this and then he would demonstrate. Or you can play it like this. Mm -hmm. Pick one. I don't care which. But either of those will be more um, interesting than whatever you did, right? Yeah. And so I call that, he doesn't call this, but I, I, that lived with me forever because it was so pivotal. And, and later on, I realized that that is sort of the key to training musicians instead of sort of zombie robots that just repeat what one thing that they're told to do. Right. right, right. And so now with my students, I really like to say, please 
tell me two ways that you can sing this or play this. Yeah. And let's go through them and commit to each of them fully. See how you feel and then pick one and go with it. I don't care which. Right, right. But you can also, to your point about um, like uh, more, that's sort of like interpretive stuff, but you can also do that. I also do that a lot with choosing where to breathe in phrases. Yeah. Because there's so often different places that you can breathe and many, many opportunities where it would make sense in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And often we, you know, fall into the rut of just following the punctuation of the line or the poem. And Mm -hmm. that is a good place to start as a blueprint for where to breathe, but it's not always the only options. And sometimes it's just sort of like flat, like it's at odds, you know, with how the composer set the music. And so sometimes it doesn't make sense to breathe where there's a comma in the poetry or something. Right. Mm -hmm. So I often play that devil's advocate game and have the singers uh, choose two or even more places where like, for example, a breath could be, and then say, what feels best to you? What do you feel is most musically convincing within the phrase? Good. You chose that. Go with that. Yeah. Copy, print, save. I think that's so important. Sam, I think across, when I think of all kind of the biggest version of classical music too, if we think early music through contemporary things that, that we all in our field struggle with the desire to have these kind of like perfect representations of this piece. And, and a lot of times that doesn't encourage a lot of compelling artistry to happen on stage. So I really love that you're helping people figure out, you know, what am I choosing between here? What am I really saying? What, what am I bringing to this? That's there, there's subtext, there's all of that involved. And I really think that that's an important aspect of us continuing to bring listeners into our field. And I'm wondering if you feel the same way about just the importance of compelling performances. 500% Megan. And, <laughs> and I do. And I'll tell you in any interview with an authority figure, a coach, a conductor, a stage director, anybody who sits in on opera auditions, yeah. what is the advice we always hear when people are putting up 60 second TikToks or posting audition tips from the road of the audition tour? They're always saying, they always say the thing that you just said, which is great. We want to see compelling, unique artistry, individual artistry, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many of them, if they're in positions of teaching or working with these younger artists, how many of them in the coaching studio or in the, in the whatever, how many of them are dictating exactly what they want the young artists that they're working with to do versus, versus how many of them are actually putting their money where their mouth is? And I'm not saying this is like a high amount or a low amount. I don't know what other people do in their coaching yeah, studios. Yeah. <laughs> but you have, to, you have to follow through, right? If you are in a teaching position, you have to create that environment where you are then empowering and training the people that you work with to make those decisions to create their own unique artistry absolutely you know it 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 doesn't cut it to just have a unique voice everybody has a unique voice right and i don't want singers to feel that oh if i don't have an earth-shatteringly unique voice that's it for me i stand no chance no It's the decisions you make in your repertoire and the um, tenacity and gumption with which you pull them off and commit to them. And it's risky, 
but that's what I mean, that's that's a whole other philosophy that I have about live performance. I believe the audience lives for the thrill oh. of sort of not necessarily knowing yeah. if things are going to go perfectly that night or not. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Versus the cookie cutter, technically perfect, polished, zero risks taken sort of singer yeah. or, or musician, uh, uh, instrumentalist, anything in any situation. I don't think that makes for good live art. No, no. <laughs> So anyway, so that that's that's I mean that's that's another diatribe about you know are people really putting their money where their mouth is and working with younger artists to actually come up with techniques that empower individualism and uniqueness or are they just spouting that on Instagram reels? Right. You well, know? let me think, Sam. To take you know a little like my own little sassy opinion here is like, mm -hmm. or are they saying we want compelling performances in exactly the way that I want it to be compelling, which is oh. like the same thing, you know? Exactly. You know, exactly. Like, oh, it's not, you're not actually looking for quote unquote, like a thoughtful, like perspectives of performing. You're looking for, I want it to be done exactly this way. <laughs> yes. I, com I completely agree, Megan. And, and I'm not saying that everybody who says that it means that, oh, but, not, but, yeah. but, but it's, it's a little bit for me, it's like a buzz phrase. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like the first thing that if you get a, a major conductor, if the social media manager gets the, a major conductor in the hallway of the orchestra hall for like 20 seconds and, and they agree to like answer a question for social media, like, yeah. what do you want to see in a singer and an artist? And they're like, your unique individual artistry. Like, yeah. it, it's just like, it's just like a cookie cutter response that we all say, well, I'm just gonna, you know, it's so, so it's like, what do you do with that to how do you teach that to the extent that it can be taught? That's kind of where I wanted to just, I don't know, push us a little bit farther into that, which is I was having a conversation about what does it mean to be remarkable on stage? Mm. And, and I think that, and I want to I, I have this feeling about I've worked with a lot of young singers too. And like, they're like, well, I want to have my specific stamp on it. And I was like, yes, your specific stamp happens after we get the notes and the rhythms and the articulations and all of that down too. I want to make sure that we start from that place. And I think that you and I obviously both agree on in tune singing all the time, like correct rhythms, having shape and phrasing to like, and then, but the choices that you're making once those things are the choices that you're making once once you are so prepared with your material. So I'm kind of asking you if you'd be even like a little bit more specific about, okay, we've gotten to the part where we've prepared this material really, really well, because sometimes mm -hmm. I think that that's part of it is like, oh, if I put my stamp on it, then I can under prepare a little bit. And I don't, and mm -hmm. neither one of us is saying that. I think after we've done that, like you've prepared so well, you've got all of the parts of your repertoire like down, can you talk a little bit more about what are some, some of those things that younger musicians can focus on once they feel like they've, they're, they're performing, like they're performing it at a high level, right? They, mm -hmm. they know their repertoire and we've talked about making choices, but if I'm confused about what is a choice, what's a good choice, mm -hmm. like what are some of the ways that you encourage people to kind of try that out at home in their, in their practice spaces and then bring that to either performance or to a coaching or, or an audition or something like that. Hey there, divas. Real quick thing before we get back to the rest of this episode. Do you love studio class? 
you can support it now by joining the Sybaritic Camerata on Patreon. It's just at patreon.com slash mezzoenen, M-E-Z-Z-O-I-H-N-E-N. For $10 a month, you can join the listening circle where you get access to bonus episodes, you can make listener requests, and for $20 a month, you can become a Masterclass Scholar. Do you ever wish you could ask our Masterclass episode guests a question? Here's your chance. As a Masterclass Scholar, you're invited to the recording of the Masterclass episodes, and you get to ask your questions during an exclusive Q&A after the taping. So come on over, check it out, patreon.com slash And now we're back to the episode. It's a great question. And for me, it's in the dramatic. Mm-hmm. And the and the and the theater of it, and say we're talking about songs. So so when I say dramatic and theatrics, I don't mean staging it and making it. You're running around the stage, right? Right, right. But a a deeper le- level that will communicate to an audience of understanding of the piece and the journey that you have the ability to take them on is responding. Um, a couple things: responding to the piano part, be affected and let the audience see like dramatic beats and to end dramatic shifts. Mm. Um, say there's an interlude. Mm-hmm. Is the interlude responding to something you just sang or is the interlude taking you to the next section and go with them? Don't just check out. Right. Yeah. Um, sometimes the singer can change, can lead to the next section. Like, right. So it's bi-directional in a way. Exactly. Um, but that level of understanding and then working it into your facial expressions, your 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 tasteful but not um, um, decadent amount of acting and it, talking about song. Right. Um, so so kind of taking techniques that you would from a theatrical production, an opera, a musical. Right. And, and applying them in um, miniature form mm-hmm. in the song genre for a recital. Yeah. facial expressions yes um smaller more subtle physical gestures right. um i'm a proponent of that stuff yeah. Yeah. there there are people out there with major opinions about how much uh theatricization should should go into song yeah and um i'm all for it i don't want to i don't want to just listen to someone saying yeah. i want to see but but you have to you have to the facial expressions and the and the subtle gestures have to come from something or be inspired by something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question, but it's that next level of of you you've got everything down technically, you sound great, you've got you've got the piece solid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but achieving that next level of artistry and uniqueness. And so, so we are talking about individualism and artistry, like what I just talked about, that's, that's an unlimited palette of things you can do. Absolutely. But if you are operating at that level of depth, no matter what the individual choices you make are, that will register to an audience. Mm-hmm. And that starts to crack into the, um, um, like, oh, this is next level yeah. sort of artistry and uniqueness. And I've never, I, maybe I've heard this Brahms song seven times in recital over the course of my life as an audience member, but I've never seen it interpreted, performed, uh, delivered to me in this way. It's the same text. It's the same notes. It's the same piano part. Yeah. 
And yet, why do I feel like I have never experienced Fonevi Galiba in this way before? Right. Right? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's to me, when I'm an audience member, when I'm like, oh, that was something else. Yeah. You know, so I don't, you know, that we're, we're getting into woo woo wah wah, like you can't really teach this stuff land. And, and I don't know how much of that is tangible, but, but, but the tangible technical way to start getting into that space yeah. is to, is to have developed such a depth of understanding of the piece and not an objective understanding, like it's a test, but for you, wherever you are and what you yeah. think about the poem and to have an opinion, if if you're a singer, have an opinion about what the piano part is doing so that you don't become passive during piano interludes or intros yeah. or outros, right? Exactly. Postings. Exactly. Yeah. And that's it's, just, it's the that's drama good. of it. And also just good, good. I think of art song as chamber music for me, but, I, you know, so that collaborative relationship that we have together mm-hmm. is that, of course, you have to be as active in that, in in your duo partner's, you know, work that's not taking away from it at all, right? That, you, that's really important is that you're not there acting through it in a way that takes away from, from that moment, but you're, you're so present with it mm-hmm. that you're allowing the audience to also hear it in a new way. And I think that that's really special. And I think- yeah one of the gifts that is is in art song so I, I love that part so much so Sam I'm gonna change gears because I love to talk about I love to talk about entrepreneurship that's kind of my jam uh, like helping helping musicians make sure that they can live more like thriving and sustainable lives doing their careers and one of the big things that we talk about especially on this podcast is micro actions being able to break things down into their smallest component and things that we can do kind of like a replicable kind of thing. And so I'm wondering if you could think about your career, uh, all facets of it, and if there is a micro action that you feel like has really helped you like from year to year along the way. Yes. (laughs) I don't think when I say this, it's gonna sound like a micro action, but I can can expound on it and try and tell you why I, why it's the first thing that I thought of when you asked about a micro, micro action. Because it feels big. My the micro action that I believe has has helped me along throughout my career and my life is trusting my gut in decision making. Oh no, that's a great one. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's a big topic. It's yeah. uh, it's a big thing. Again, a lot of people sort of talk about this sometimes. At least that I've heard. It seems to be like a. But you mentioned this earlier singers, especially singers, but all of us at artists, as artists, receive so much input, so many opinions, so many strategic suggestions throughout the course of our career, no more so than in the early years, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this unquestionably happens for all artists, but but singers, it's like next level. Mm -hmm. Um, The only person that I'm with 24 hours a day, making a decision about something that could alter the rest of my week or my next year, my next season, or the rest of my life, the only person I'm with is myself. Yeah. 
And I don't know if I'm just a naturally decisive person. I get very overwhelmed if I if I have to if I'm swirling around for more than like 48 hours dealing with like six different options for how to move forward with something. I don't do well with that sort of thing. So I tend to make decisions um, as quickly as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what helps me feel that I'm making the right decision and that I ultimately am able to take that step forward confidently is I have learned to trust my gut. Mm. And that doesn't mean I have a preconceived answer going into a situation, but often after I've received all the opinions and if I've asked for other people's advice, which I'm trying to get better about doing because I actually, you know, there's a healthy amount of doing that, right? You don't want to live in a vacuum and only live with yourself. But after you've gotten all that gobbledygook <laughs> from the outside world, the there's another action, this micro action of, of learning to trust what your insides are telling you is the right way to go. Yeah. yeah. And for me, that has been big. I don't know. Maybe some people don't think their gut tells them the right thing to do. But for me, I have kind of loved the outcomes when I do trust my gut. Yeah. You know? And so I view that as a micro action because you know, what are the stats? I mean, we make, we make like thousands of decisions a day or something yeah. in our brains. Um, so when it comes to career stuff, that has, that has been a major thing for me. And I will say, Megan, I believe that that contributes to my individuality as an artist mm-hmm. because it builds confidence in not always making decisions um, from the framework of, oh, this is what someone else wants me to do. And so maybe um, I'll please other people and maybe it'll further my career in that way, like by by doing what other people think I should do. And maybe then they'll they'll like me or they'll give me something down the road or or if someone else um, uh, uh, advised me to do this, this will set me up for success in in other in, in other areas. Right. Um, it has empowered me to, it's given me a healthy Teflon mm. um, to, to, to feel that I am carving my own individual lane out. Yeah. Which okay. I believe this, again, is a segue and it's sort of something else that I'm positive we'll talk about is, is more and more vital in the 21st century as a classical artist. Yeah. Right? Yes. Um, is, is that sort of unique individual lane because the, the cookie cutter career where you can um, where you can expect to make your entire living as an artist doing just one thing, for example, going around and singing at regional or national or international opera, like, like an opera performing career, for example, it's not necessarily, it's not so easy anymore. It's not so possible anymore. Yeah. Um, Just as an example. So that versatility I think is made more empowering for myself by, by having learned to trust my gut which i believe i did through micro actions because i remember when i didn't used to you had the it's like a habit you have to build you see where i'm going with this is i was like okay for all of us that maybe took a little bit longer to like listen to our bodies telling us these things or whatever what does what was that feeling like for you how did you recognize what your gut was trying to tell you how did you recognize what your intuition was trying to tell you about those things especially if you know, I think a lot, a lot of people end up growing up in ways where they're, you know, encouraged to kind of turn that off or something. So we, we have to kind of 
open it back up sometimes and pay attention. So what was that process like for you? It's all, it's for me, it's very logical uh, in the sense, not that it's obvious, but it's, I'm a logical thinker. And so I made it logical in my head. We fear what we don't know. And if you can make that first gut reaction, gut gut instinct, if you can follow that for the first time, even if in some way it turns out to not be have been the best decision for you, but the fact that the world does not come crashing down around you and that your life doesn't end literally or 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 metaphorically in any way, figuratively, like the fact that the apocalypse doesn't happen after you trust yourself to make this gut decision, you need to go to the bank with that in your little brain hole yeah. and say, the, the outcome was not that was not a travesty, yeah. even if I would have maybe done something else. So then you have the courage to go do it again, to trust mm -hmm. your gut for the next decision. And then you're carving away at the unknown. Yeah. And that's how we overcome fears, anxieties, Absolutely. All that negative stuff. I agree. Um, it's how we un unbury ourselves from from being driven by past traumas, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is we we have to tackle it. Mm -hmm. So all you have to do is take that first step, but then when the world doesn't end after it, you have to take that to the bank because that's what'll be your currency to keep going. Right. 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 You, you have to follow up with yourself and love on yourself. Yep. And, and, and take it to the bank and say, oh, oh, actually, I can do this a second time yep. and then a third time and then a fourth time. And that's how you build a habit. Oh, I love it. I love it so you much. Know, in, in my <laughs> mind, everybody's so different. And there's an unlimited amount of ways to think about things as you go through life. I believe that. Um, but for me, that was the logic and the and the workflow in my yeah. mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go, you know? Yes. <laughs> the I flow chart you. i feel you that's like yeah especially you know if we're if we're the kind of people who logic is is how we like to work through things i think that's so helpful especially because if we're feeling like oh but trusting myself can feel like woo woo or you know uh yeah. just like uncertain in so many ways i love that the way that you presented that is as yeah. an option for us to think through it and also to to still trust ourselves. So yeah, and yeah, and let, let me also add one more thought to this, Megan, because yeah. it's it it comes off a little harsh, but it's actually meant to serve ourselves. Yeah. A, a lot of people think um that that and it's hard, you know, I understand why, because decisions that we make, we have to live with them. So we for us, everything we do is in our own spotlight, right? We put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Nobody, I guarantee you, nobody else in this world is thinking about what you did yeah. during that day. Everybody goes to bed and they're just thinking about themselves. Yes. So the harsh, the harsh, blunt message is you're not that special. But you, but, but, but in the context of you can afford to make a decision that might be wrong for you. And even if the outcome of that decision results in some sort of public, um, mess up or something yeah. i don't know like say you say you make a decision to take a risk on stage and you crack or you forget a note or a word or something like that let me tell you that no one is remembering that more than a week later no yeah. one cares yeah <laughs> everybody's going home at night and worrying about themselves for the next day so i say this with 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 humor and positivity in the sense that the stakes aren't that high yeah. if you are able to zoom out in that way.
And again, that is something that you can take to the bank and feel courage for always moving forward on your own journey to take risks and to follow your gut. Because even if something goes wrong occasionally, and it will, it's just not that deep, not to anybody as much as it will ever be as deep to you. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a funny, blunt, harsh thing to say, but it's actually meant to be like, you know, yeah. you can do it. keep going. I, my best friend calls it the doctrine of liberation. Nobody's yes. caring about you. So like live the doctrine of liberation, which is like, you can just do things because most of the time people aren't thinking about you. <laughs> yes, it's, it's true. It's, I, I mean, I love, remi- I love reminding myself about that. Right. It's so you useful. Uh, the and number pe- pe- of times it helps. <laughs> people's memories are short for better or for worse. In many cases it's for worse, but in this case it's for the better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. So yeah, you get it. Yes, totally. Sam, what is something kind of repertoire wise that either is coming up or something that you're wanting to bring into your life? What, what gets you excited when you're thinking about music? Well, uh, oh, oh, so many things. I mean, there's so many songs and song cycles I want to play. And I feel like no matter what, like you just never crack the crack the floor. Right. But, but, uh, you know, it, I, in reading this question, I actually, you know, there's not so many opportunities uh, that that come my way these days, mostly because I don't have time to tackle it. But there's so much <laughs> chamber music that I would love to play. Like oh I play with singers all the time. <laughs> what I really want to play is the Corn Gold Piano Quintet, or the Rafe mm-hmm. Von Williams Piano Quintet, or the Four A C Minor Piano Quartet. I mean, these pieces, oh, so oh they're just so amazing. And um, actually, singers listening to this should, should go listen to the Corn Gold Piano Quintet because um, that's one of those pieces where I think the second movement is also a song. Yeah. So he he wrote it for this. Um, it's like like the Trout Quintet Quintet yeah. of Schubert. Yeah. So um, it's astoundingly beautiful, and I just love and miss the thrill of just a bunch of instrumentalists on stage together and. Um, jamming in that way so i don't know if it'll ever happen i have no plans for it but you 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 gave me the opportunity to talk about bucket list and you know i listen to that music so much and and sometimes i break it out and practice it just to practice it but yeah i'm missing a violinist and a cellist and a a second violinist if you can help make this happen for sam let's let's do it like (laughs) no now i feel like i'm just complaining but i i do and it's so it's so unbelievable and um it's amazing you know on the other hand of all this megan it's so amazing what can be said by musicians that don't have text to work with and the music that was written and the message it can send and the beauty that it can bring so you know that's a whole other side of the world that i miss very much absolutely i feel you know you and I share that love of chamber music and and so many things. And obviously as a singer, I'm deeply devoted to the text and I love all of, I love my job, right? I love what I get to do, but there's so much music around us. That's just so wonderful to engage with. And like, I just, yeah, I I think the pandemic really drove that home for me too, was just Mm. how important live music is to me and being in that space as a listener. And so I'm not sure, did you have something like that when you, when, We've been emerging from pandemic times and anything that you discovered anew that you were like, oh, I, this is just so important to me that I, you know, maybe it was a little bit of a surprise. I, 
COVID, the blessing of COVID was I connected with so many new people and colleagues that uh, I, I don't know if I ever would have just because we were all, first of all, digital communication became so normalized. But yeah. second of all, on top of that, um, just to keep any sort of projects going, as opposed to the alternative of going underground and, and not doing anything during COVID, which was, of course, fine. And, and if some people needed to do that to sort of take care of themselves, that's great. For me, I, I got a little itchy, and so I needed to maintain some projects and stuff yeah. like that. And so I reached out. I started reaching out to composers, mm -hmm. and 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 um, I had done a little bit of that before, but it just became so obvious and amazing how accessible they are and how delighted they are to hear from performers. And for me, it sort of dragged down. It sort of tore down a barrier yeah. that I don't know if I actively thought existed, but maybe realized that I had never thought that it was a possibility to deal with living composers so much yeah. and how accessible they were and that if you're preparing their music they'd love for you to send them recordings and they can send you notes and i mean we you know so all these so that's like the biggest thing that i took away from covid is all the new collegial connections that were made because yeah. we, we knew we we were all just sitting in our own living rooms. No one was doing anything and no one could pretend that they were doing anything. You couldn't pretend to be too busy to respond to a random email, right? Right, right. <laughs> there was no hiding, no hiding. So that was a beautiful, a beautiful moment and definitely something that has continued on now post-COVID. So I think that was fuel for my fire because it because it opened up a whole new side of collaboration and, and yeah. collegiality that I really wasn't messing around with before. Yeah, that's so great. Oh, you know, I love hearing that. Like just as someone who loves working with yeah. others, right? Yeah. So just more of those connections overall. It just feels really wonderful and, you mm -hmm. know, supportive of our whole community. So yeah. you know, that I that I love curiosity. I think curiosity is a superpower. Clearly, I run a whole podcast where I ask people questions about what they think. <laughs> and so, so I want to kind of take us towards wrapping up our conversation together by just asking you, what are you curious about these days? What what is keeping your you know your neurons firing? That's a great question. I love that. Uh... I think one of the major things that I'm curious about, and I frankly don't feel that I have very many answers, I'm very curious about the question, um, is like, what are, what are we doing and what are people doing and what are musicians coming of age in the 21st century doing to be successful classical musicians in the 21st century? Yeah. And I, I asked this question of myself and other people, and I like to preface by saying a couple things. I don't think anybody needs to apologize. There's the thumbs up again. I don't think anybody needs to apologize and we don't need to work to eliminate the, the moniker of classical music mm -hmm. that we do not need to feel ashamed. We not, do not need to try and erase that genre of music, even as we um, happily move forward into um, sort of genre uh, soup, like combining things in new works, genre, um, classical music, uh, hip hop, musical theater, all this stuff. Like that's great, yeah. but we don't need to like, so, so, so we don't need to like wipe away the term classical musician, but what does it mean to be a classical musician and what are the maybe new skills and mindsets 
and career paths that we need to consider mm-hmm. that might need to open up to a broader world for 21st century classical musicians. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to reinvent the terminology. Mm-hmm. We need to reinvent what we do, how we do it, who we do it with. Mm-hmm. We welcome whose stories we tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the pillars of these things. And, the, you know, this could apply to so many different cultural, social topics of today. I'm not someone that believes a lot of the, I mean, a lot of it's semantics, right? And we get caught fighting in that. And to me, that's BS surface level stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not It's not the meat and potatoes of the issues. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, I don't know, I, I, I'm getting hooked on, the the term classical music because I hear people saying we you know we shouldn't be referring to it club that's skirt that's that's skirting around the the issue yeah you can call it whatever we we'll call it whatever you want like that doesn't solve a problem right to me right right so so my question and my curiosity is about the the deep answers for what we're doing to keep this um, body of music and art that we all love so much alive healthy well and expanding. Mm-hmm. not contracting in the 21st century what do we do yeah. and what do us musicians that are coming of age do to be part of that i love that and so sam do you think that those are the questions that we should be asking our our individual selves like who am i what am i doing who am i making this for all of that kind of stuff do you have more questions that you're asking yourself when it comes to what does it look like to be a musician you know I, I also like to think about what does it mean to be a musician in community in, in the 21st mm-hmm. century? And so, you know, how am I serving, you know, my community? How am I serving my people and uh, through the work that we do? But do you have other questions that you're, that's helping you kind of like get to that deeper side of, of it? Uh, a lot of what you just said, I completely agree with. And those questions I share, you know, uh, and and in comparison, like, who am I serving in what community? Like, I believe that there is value in reorienting our, our minds towards local mm-hmm. and um, c- c- like local community. Um, who are we serving? Yeah. Because I often think in specifically in our industry, but maybe this happens in every industry. So I don't want to just bash classical music, but I often think in, in, in our industry, which is what I know. So I'll speak to it. I think we're often performing for ourselves. I mean, and by ourselves, I mean, our colleagues, right? right. We're, 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 it's all performative mm-hmm. for um, each other. Yeah. And we lose track of who it is that we're trying to reach mm-hmm. um, and who it is that we're trying to, to serve. But to get back to your question, um, I asked this question in turn to myself as an as an artist, as a performing artist. I asked this question of myself um, as a teacher now and as a teacher at a university in dealing with curriculum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the the one you know uh, university and public school being the the proving grounds and the training land for twenty um, first century artists. Yeah. 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 So it, it it starts at that level, and how do curricula need to adjust, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what sort of topics need to maybe be brought in in addition to regimented just performance, 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 practice, 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 traditional models, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. entrepreneurial skills, administrative skills, um, creating a framework of acceptance and encouragement for future artists that will have to 
tackle a lot of different things and adopt a lot of different um, income sources and a lot of different skills and paths for sustaining themselves and their family members as classical artists. Absolutely. Just so many questions. I don't have a ton of answers. And I also, even the answers that I do believe that I have that might work for me or my circle or places that I work also might not be prescriptive and work everywhere, right? right? So I don't claim to be omniscient on this topic. And I think a lot of people are struggling with it. What's very interesting is to see how different organizations and people and artists and industry leaders and like celebrities in our, you know, everybody that we all know, like how everybody thinks differently about it. What's important is that we identify the people in the organizations that have goodwill and openness of mind about it rather than sort of um, uh, who's sort of gatekeeping or afraid of change or stuff like that. Because I don't believe that a lot of people have bad intentions. I think it's rare that people have bad intentions and actively um, seek to stay stuck in old and toxic ways. Yeah. Actively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, passively. But, but passively and as a byproduct, that happens a ton yeah. for a lot of legitimate reasons. People yeah. are afraid of change. Yeah. People can't envision what the future holds. People think that if they change their business model, it'll all collapse. So that's yeah. like everything is driven. All negativity and all toxic behavior in my mind is driven by anxiety, fear of the unknown, all, all these very legitimate human emotions. Yeah. And yet we have to fight against them to move forward. And we have to challenge ourselves and our colleagues and our peers yeah. and call each other out in that way. Yeah. Um, what you said, Sam, that I really appreciate is that you're that you're asking yourself the questions. And I think that I always believe that the answer is in the living and then the, you know, we live our answers versus like, but I think what you're saying and calling each other out is a version of let's ask each other better questions. Let's ask each other what kind of world do we want to build together? What, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so I really appreciate that you're, you're saying, let's ask good questions. Let's, let's ask better questions. Let's ask questions of each other and together. Like where, where can we take this? You know? Right. Right. I, I right. Love that. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't believe, I, I don't like, I don't like when people ask those questions and, and it feels like it's a trick. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> like you're being set up like right. I, I hate I hate these conversations playing out on like social media and stuff yeah, yeah. um uh, I prefer them to happen in person and and that you know that it's with good intention and it's not a trick question it's just like step back what is the world we're living in today what is what is prioritized and valued today yeah. and how do we speak to it it's not it's it shouldn't be posed and challenged as a trick yeah. or like trying to as a gotcha to people yeah i hate that that's that's a that's a disingenuous place to start exactly and then every everything gets defensive and angry from there right. um and that hap- that happens most on social media right um it's rare i believe that a productive conversation where you know can happen online where people leave with opinions and hearts and minds changed. Oh my gosh, right? And but that because it's real work, you know, and uh-huh. and like if you can find that on social media more power to you. If but that real work happens when people are willing to to gather and say like I'm going to set my ego down, I'm going to be yeah. vulnerable, I'm going to be open, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be questioning. And, yeah. and so I love 
I love that. And I hope that we can take that, you know, farther into the future and create more, you know, more opportunities for that together. And, yeah. You know, hopefully, I mean, that's, that's also why I like to have these conversations is, is what are the questions that we're all asking ourselves? And then can we ask them together a little bit more so that I think that the, that's also the role of artists in general is to presage mm -hmm. new ideas. And, and so I think the more that we can be vulnerable in asking the questions, the better we are as artists when we show up to tell stories for each other. Right. Yeah, <laughs> way to bring it home, Megan. Way <laughs> to bring it home. I mean, this I've, I I have never felt more in my body like a, like a loop has just been closed. <laughs> well done. We are we are artists after all. Yeah, this, is, yeah. this is what we put on this earth to do. It's it's very it's it, you're very you're very right. I mean, full stop. I have nothing more to add. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. So, Sam, thank you so much. <laughs> Megan Eden, everybody. <laughs> well, I haven't been doing this for over 100 episodes for nothing. So, like, <laughs> well done. But I do. I really, really want to thank you. I think that you've just personally, you've given me so many things to think about. And I'm just really grateful that you're showing up fully as yourself as an artist and being so collaborative. And I think that you just as a person show up in a way where you're willing to walk alongside each other, but while doing the guiding and mentoring that you're doing. And I think that's a really special quality. So thank you so much for sharing that in this space. We're very, very grateful to have that. And I, you know, I hope that a lot of people that are listening will maybe take, share their takeaways with you or online. And so that leads me to say, where would you like people to find you on the interwebs? Cool. Well, thank you for all of that. Um, my 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 concert series, Cincinnati Song Initiative, you can find on the web at cincinnatisonginitiative.org. Good luck typing out initiative with the right amount of I's and T's for the first time. It still trips me up after eight years, but you'll get there. Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll get there. So many I's. Uh, <laughs> you might get there before I get there. I still can't, I still can't spell it. Um, and, uh, Hey, if you're looking for an undergraduate or graduate program, come, uh, check out the heart school at yeah. the university of Hartford in Connecticut. We can, we can jam together. Woo -woo. I love it. I yeah. love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sam. I really appreciate this. Thank you, Megan. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to this masterclass episode on studio class. Hey, before you go, do you have a second? Will you take a screenshot of this episode and share it to Instagram with your takeaways? You can tag me there, at Mezzoinen. That's M-E-Z-Z-O-I-H-N-E-N. -E it makes a huge difference when you share this podcast with your friends. Or even strangers, really. So, with that in mind, I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening!